we've got a, a couple things that, that we want to talk about today. Um, I've got a few announcements before we get started. And, and the first one is this, man, for, for the past five years. Well, really, I have to go back even further. I have to go back to, to freshman year of college. I'm going re- to really try not to get emotional, okay? Uh, but I've got to go all the way back to freshman year of college. Freshman year of college, um, met this guy. His name, his name was Keith. We helped each other move into our rooms, and, and then we found out we had some classes together, and, and, then, and then it was like, hey, you want to you wanna go to lunch? Because <laughs> I don't know anybody else. You want to go to lunch? So we, we went to lunch together, and then it was like, hey, you want to go through the football? Like, you want to go just hang out? You, you want to go just, just be friends? Like, can we be friends? Because I don't have any friends here. You don't have any friends here. Can we, can we be friends? Fast forward a couple years, uh, Keith, the Mint, and myself, man, we became best friends in college. Had the, the honor and the privilege to, uh, to be in Keith and Malia's wedding. Um, I'm still taking credit for, for that marriage and that wedding because if it wasn't for me, you know, running back and forth to, to Malia's room and, and making sure she was still interested in Keith. By the way, we'll tell this story. Keith, like, or Malia tried to act like she didn't like Keith for an entire year, but she really did. It was like, I was their third wheel. It's like, hey, let's go study. No, y'all just want to go make out, and I'm going to sit in the living room by myself. Like, that's, I'm going to call a spade a spade, right? So fast forward, we both graduate college, and we step into ministry, and and Keith and Malia moved uh, to Long Island, youth pastors in in Long Island. And uh, they were your youth pastor for like eight months. It's like, it's weird how God connects the dots, right? So Keith was, uh, was Nicole's youth pastor for like eight months, and then she graduated and went to college. So he's there for about five years at a, a church in, in Long Island. Then he moved uh, to a different part of New York, to the Hudson Valley area, been an executive pastor there for the past five years. And, and really about a year and a half ago, uh, maybe two years ago, I, I really started talking to Keith. And, and I'll share this with you one day. But uh, I, about a month ago, I went back through journals. I journal a lot. I write a lot. I was going back through a couple of journals. And every time, every time I would pray for Keith and Malia and, and doing ministry together one day, don't cry, uh, I, would, I would just write the date down. Just whatever, whatever that day was, I'd just kind of jot the date down. Under Keith and Malia's name, I'd just write that. And, and for me, I knew like that was the day that I prayed. I went back and looked through those journals, started counting five times. 10 times, 15 times, 30 times, 40 times. Started counting all these dates. And just to see what God has already done in your life, what he's already done in in Malia's life, and what he's already done with your family. Taking a long, long time to get through this because I'm really trying not to fall apart right now. Um, But I'm grateful and I'm thankful to announce that we're bringing Keith and Malia on staff, that Keith and Malia are going to be our, our executive pastors. So if you guys can make your way up on stage, both of y'all can come up here, make your way all the way up. Y'all can go ahead and throw their, their picture on the screen. So just Keith, Keith and Malia Dement, if you take a look at, at the screen there, they have two beautiful kids, Kalia and Kyler. They're both uh, in Multiply Kids right now. 
But, but Keith and Malia, we are excited uh, to have you guys on staff. I need to clarify, that doesn't mean I'm going anywhere. I'm not leaving, all right, I'm staying here. Uh, but Keith and, and Malia are gonna be our executive pastor. So we have a little gift for you guys just to say welcome to the family. So can you show your love, your honor, and your support? Can we give it up for Keith and Malia one more time? That's what I'm talking about. We're pumped to have you guys here. And I, I'm thankful you're gonna make, you're gonna make us better, all right? Give me a hug and then get off stage so we don't cry. All right, give me a hug, give me a hug. All right, y'all give it up for these guys one more time. All right, all right, all right. Band, stop the music so I don't cry. Awkwardly stop and y'all walk off the stage or something so I can, I can get started. Hey, so um, I know we just announced these guys. We're excited, we're pumped. Right after service, we're inviting the whole church to Barcelona Burger. If you've never been to Barcelona Burger, there's a bunch of big tables. It's in Mooresville. You can drive there. We're covering everybody's lunch today. All right, we're not just going to talk about being family. We're going to actually be family. So if you want to come by for lunch, come by, hang out, get to know Keith and Malia a little bit, but we'll go there right after service. couple other things that I need to talk about. The first one, if you went on the women's retreat this past weekend, make some noise for me. What I'm talking about. I know we had ladies go on the women's retreat, and, and it's important that we do stuff like this. Why? Because it builds community. We truly are there for one another. It's not just let's come to church and act like we like each other on Sunday morning. No, we want to walk day in and day out with one another, and, and we're pumped that, that you guys got to go on the women's retreat. If you missed it this year, don't miss it next year. I know some of you had some other family things that came up. Uh, many of you had babies, so you couldn't go, uh, but, but make sure you make it a point to go next year. And then next week, 619, we have what we call our family dedications. So if you want to dedicate your little ones, your kids, your families, maybe you got a 25-year-old that you need to dedicate. We'll dedicate them to the Lord too, all right? But we have family dedications coming up next week. <laughs> Rich Rafferty's laughing. I think he wants to dedicate his, his kids. Um, they, they're serving, so hopefully they're dedicated to the Lord. But, but make sure you scan that QR code. We'll get you signed up for that. And then uh, June 26th, we have our worship night coming up. That's in two weeks. All right, so we're going to do that in here. Um, really what we're going to do, we're going to have a, a time of worship. We're going to have a few chairs in here, have the space open, let you walk around, journal, all that good stuff. But we're going to do that on the 26th. And then, fellas, I needed you to make some noise because we have our men's retreat coming up August 4th through the 6th. Something that I'm excited about. Next week, we'll open up that for, for, for you to start being able to pay, but, but why does all this even matter? Why does all this church stuff even matter? It's because it's deeply local and it's deeply global. You heard me talk about it last week, but what is local? Local is this church. Local is Multiply Lake Norman. Local is us planting a church. Where's Eric and Aubrey? Are they still in here? Local is you guys planting in Hickory, North Carolina. By the way, they've officially moved into their house, so we're planting in Hickory. That's something to be excited about. But it's, it's deeply local. Local is groups. Our group tagline is do what you love with people you love. It's deeply local. Local is coming to church on a Sunday morning. Local matters. The stronger we are local, the more of an impact that we'll have globally. Globally for us is what? It's Nicaragua. We're heading back to Nicaragua in September, partnering with the CrossFit gym there, looking at planting a church in Nicaragua. Global is talking about Zambia. Toby, you got me excited about Zambia. You've gotten me excited about Livingston. You've gotten me excited about what you guys are going to go do in October so that we can potentially plant a church in Zambia. Global is South Africa. You know, I was gone for about two and a half weeks. Uh, my wife made it. I'm back home. I'm not leaving for a while. I love you. Uh, but, but global is South Africa. 
what would it look like for us to plant a church in Johannesburg? What would it look like for us to plant a church in Pretoria? Y'all were like, I have no idea where that is. That's fine. I really didn't know where it was either, but this is what I do know. There's people who are far away from Jesus who need to know the love and the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus displayed on the cross. That's why we plant churches. That's why we're deeply local. That's why we're deeply global. I've talked to you about another church plant. Can't mention it out loud, but we're going to a closed country. What would it look like for us to plant an underground church in a closed country where if you profess to be a Christian, you're literally killed? Like, let that, let that sink in for just a second. There are places around the world that you can't talk about Jesus without being killed, yet we can come and gather with a couple hundred people on a Sunday morning and openly profess Jesus. Church, I don't want to get comfortable inside the four walls of the church. I don't want to get comfortable on Sunday morning. I don't want to get comfortable sitting in some AC. I don't want to get comfortable just standing up on stage and you coming in here and checking the box saying, I went to church on Sunday morning. We have to be a church that's deeply local, but deeply global. How do we continue to expand the kingdom of God? Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go make disciples. Again, this isn't a suggestion. This is a commandment. It's a mandate. Go make disciples. As Christ followers, that's what we're called to do. As Christ followers, we're not called to come to church just on Sunday mornings. As Christ followers, we're not called to just step into worship for ourselves. As Christ followers, what did Jesus say? Go make disciples. Now, I think if we're not careful, we'll try to overcomplicate this thing. Well, how do I make a disciple? I, I didn't go to Bible college. I don't know how to talk about Jesus. Listen, just share your story, share your testimony, and share how Jesus saved your soul. That, that's what it means to talk about Jesus. That's what it means to go make disciples. We've talked about this a little bit. We've talked about our struggle, and we see our struggle as humanity in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And it reads like this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. That's our struggle. Can can I tell you today that I know we deal with stuff in the physical, but can I tell you that heaven and hell are waging war in the spiritual? And we can act like we don't believe it. We can act like it's not there. We can act like it's not going on, but it is. So we have our struggle, but we also have our position in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. The Bible says this, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. What does all that mean? That means if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're called to step into your position. And as you step into your position as a Christ follower, you also have to step into your power. And your power is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. And it reads like this, the weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of this world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish stronghold. So how do we step into our position of power? We've talked about it the past couple of weeks. We talked about using our authority and our influence. Authority is in the spiritual realm while influence is in the physical realm. Last week I talked about Joseph a little bit and we looked at how he used his influence wherever God placed him. 
Remember the story of Joseph. He found himself in the pit. He had to use his influence. He found himself in Potiphar's house. He used his influence. He found himself in prison. He used his influence. And then he found himself in the palace. He used his influence. Wherever God placed him, we're called to use our influence wherever God places us. I don't care if you have a new job or an old job. I don't care if you're in a new season or an old season. Students, I don't care if you're going to a new school or it's an old school. Use your influence wherever God has placed you. So let's go back to the book of Genesis. Think about humanity. God gave humanity dominion over all of the earth. God gave the keys to the kingdom to Adam and Eve. Then what happened in the book of Genesis? Adam and Eve sinned. They lost the keys. They lost the keys to the kingdom. And then Jesus came and he got the keys back. And Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He was crucified on a cross and he conquered hell, death, and the grave. And then what did God have the audacity to do? God says, hey, you know what? Humanity, you, you jacked it up. You screwed it up. But I'm going to give the keys back to you. I, I'm going to give you a second chance. Jesus came that you might have a second chance. If this was me, if I was God, good thing I'm not. But if I was God, I wouldn't give the keys back to humanity. And if I was Jesus, I would look at humanity and go, heck no. I just lived a perfect life. I just went to hell to conquer hell, death, and the grave. There's no way I'm giving you the keys back. But God decides to give the keys back to humanity. Think back to a few weeks ago, and Brittany preached on this. We've all been given keys. But why do we have gate-level authority? We came up with this acronym. They'll put it on the screen. But gate-level authority is this. is that we're called to go to your place of authority. To attack and pull down the strongholds of the enemy. To take your keys, to close the gates of destruction and open the gates of blessing. And to expect peace, security, and generational blessing. Think, think back to society. Think back to culture. Think back to what we're dealing with day in and day out. See, I, I think we have this idea in our mind that heaven and hell play nice together. We have this idea in our mind that if we stay on our side, then they'll stay on their side. But again, can I remind you that heaven and hell are waging war for your soul. Heaven and hell are waging war for your kids' soul, for your family's souls, for, for the people that are to come for their souls. There, there is a war in the spiritual realm. You stay on your side and I'll stay on my side. It doesn't work that way. And what we're seeing in society is hell waging war against humanity. And that all sounds bleak. It all sounds dark. It all sounds like, oh man, maybe I should shield myself. But remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Church, that's a definitive statement. It's not a suggestion. Jesus says, I will build. Oh, by the way, regardless of what you go through, hell won't win. And see, what we do as society, what we do as Christ followers sometimes is we say, I follow Jesus, I love Jesus. And then we fall into fear, we fall into doubt, we fall into failure. We say, God, God might be who he says he is, but, but I'm too far gone. 
God might be who he says he is, but my family is too far gone. God might be who he says he is, but I don't know if he can show up in in my situation. We have to start living like the gates of hell won't win. Zach, you're going a little hard today. You dig I'm right. Because what happens is we'll say things like my family is falling apart. We'll make the definitive statement, and I'll get to that in a second, but we'll make definitive statement like my family is falling apart. Yeah, but remind yourself that the gates of hell won't win. Yeah, but Zach, I lost my job. Remind yourself that the gates of hell won't win. Zach, you didn't get the, you didn't get the doctor's report that I got. I, I might not have, but can I remind you that the gates of hell won't win? Zach, Zach, you don't know the stress that's in my life. I don't, but the gates of hell won't win. Zach, you don't know what type of anxiety I'm dealing with. I don't, but what I do know is that the gates of hell won't win. I'm a firm believer that the enemy isn't worried about defeating some of you because you keep defeating yourself. What are you talking about? You keep having negative thoughts. You keep having negative attitudes. You keep having negative self-talk. We have to flip the script and we have to stand firm on what Jesus declares. What did Jesus declare? He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. You've heard me talk about psychologist Carol Dweck a few times, but she has this concept. It's the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. A growth mindset says, I can, and a fixed mindset says, I can't. I I don't know about y'all, but we don't use the word can't in my household. And and some of you you need to adopt that in your household. You need to stop using the word can't. We were in Hickory a couple days ago, and uh, Keith and Malia and I were, were with the kids, and and we decided to walk down to the YMCA. And it's, it's just a little walk down the hill. Down the hill is easy. You're going downhill. Up the hill, I don't want to run up the hill. You know what I'm saying? Especially when you have a four-and-a-half-year-old who has really little legs. So what happens is the kids go play. They're in the pool. They're swimming. They're having a good time. And then it hits. You know what happens when you get in the water. You start getting hangry. Like you start wanting snacks. I don't know, what is it about water? As soon as you jump in, it's like, I haven't eaten anything in 14 days. You know what I'm saying? So we get in the pool, we have a good time, and the the kids are are running back up the hill to the house. Kalia's in front, and Piper's in second, and and Kyler's not far behind. And then Piper just kind of stops and (laughs) turns around. Again, she's halfway up the hill. And she starts running back towards me, and she gets to me. She goes, Daddy, I can't. I'm tired. Care me. <laughs> Girl, you were halfway up the hill. If you know anything about our family, one of the first phrases that Piper learned was, I'm tough. And we taught her this early on. She'd fall down. We'd get her to stand up, pound her chest, and say, I'm tough. Malia gave her a, a little pep talk, and she said, hey, don't say I, I can't. You just can't right now, but you, you can and she was reluctant. I said, Piper, I'm tough. I'm tough, Daddy. I'm, t- I'm tough. And then she takes back up off the hill. So, some of you need to remind yourself this morning that you're tough. Some of you need to remind yourself this morning that regardless of how hard life gets, regardless of what you face, God is still king. He's still on his throne. And the gates of hell won't prevail. The gates of hell won't prevail. So how, how does the kingdom get built? God says, hey, or Jesus says, hey, the gates of hell won't prevail. I'm going to build my kingdom, but how does it get built? It gets built by you and by me. 
It gets built by humanity. Why did God give the keys back to humanity? Because we have to continue to build. One, one of the scriptures that blows my mind, I, I, don't, I, I still, I'm a pastor and I still can't comprehend it, is this. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. It's before he, he ascends into heaven. He goes, hey, boys, I got to leave. I got to leave because there's one coming that's even greater than me. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, you're going to do greater things than me. Dude, you're Jesus. Like you were healing people. You were healing blind eyes. You were making the lame walk. You literally conquered hell, death, and the grave. And I'm supposed to do greater things than you? Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Humanity is called to continue to build the kingdom of God. But we have this tendency to think that failure and hardships keeps us from operating in our gifts. And I would venture to say this. It's not your failure or your hardships that keep you from stepping into your gifting or your calling. It's actually your own self-doubt. Because we can believe the greatest things for other people. We can believe the greatest things for family members. We can believe healing for people. We can believe miracles for people. We can believe that God will work in someone else's life. But for some reason, when it comes to you as an individual, you don't have that same response. And then we're in this self-doubt and this self-pity, this woe-is-me mentality. And that's when the enemy does his best work. And it all starts by attacking your identity. If you're taking notes, write this down. The first thing is this. The enemy will always attack your identity. As soon as you say, I can't, the enemy will use society and culture and past fears and past failures to determine your identity opposed to what Jesus says. Go back to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he asked this question. He says, hey, fellas. This is the Zach Witt translation. He says, hey, fellas, who, who do people say that I am? Who, who do people say that I am? And the disciples start to respond, and they say, hey, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Isaiah. Still others say that you're Jeremiah. And even others say that you're one of the other prophets. What I know is this, you will never know your true identity. You'll never know your true identity until you know your identity in Christ and Christ alone. Heaven and hell don't play nice together. They're always waging war against each other. And that war starts with your identity. And it used to be just adults. But now what we see in society and see in culture is that, that the enemy is waging war against our kids. This scares the heck out of me as a dad. It actually ticks me off a little bit. If you want to know something that makes me mad, it's somebody trying to come after my kids, like openly coming after my kids. Like, I hope that I, I got some good friends in here. If somebody starts messing with my daughters, y'all go have to bail me out of jail. And I promise, I'll write the sermon in jail. It's like Paul, like he wrote the letters from prison. All that. Like, I'll do, will you come get me out? <laughs> if you're not there with me, we'll just have church at the jail. You know what I'm saying? It sounds biblical. They did it. But it's not just with adults. It's our kids, too. Our identity is under attack. Zach, what are you talking about? I mean, I mean think about it. A 10-year-old, a 10-year-old can go to his dad and say, hey, dad, I want a drink. I want to drink a beer. Dad's going to look at a 10-year-old and go, dude, you're not 21 yet. A girl can go to her mom. I don't know why I'm picking a girl, but a girl can go to her mom and go, hey, mom, I want to smoke. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not 18 yet. You can make that decision when you're 18, but you're not, you're not 18 yet. You can't make that decision yet. 
a 10-year-old can go to their parents and say, hey, I want to start driving. I think I know how to drive now. Dude, you don't have your permit yet. You can't, you can't drive. But that same 10-year-old can go to their parents and say, hey, I want to change my sexual orientation. And society will say, look, sweetie, you know exactly what's right for you. It used to just be that adults' identity was under attack. But now it's our kids. What's the church going to do to step up to the plate? Once the enemy attacks your identity, then he comes for you by attacking your confession. Let's keep reading the story in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus asks and the disciples give their response. Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah. Still, some say one of the other prophets. And then in verse 15, this is key. Jesus says this, but what about you? What about you? Who, who do you say that I am? What about you? Because, because if we're not careful, we'll gloss over these type of, of scriptures and we'll go, oh, that's a cute question that Jesus asked to his disciples. But Kay, if I stood in front of you, and you don't have to answer out loud, but if I stood in front of you and I said, Kay, who, who do you say Jesus is? To Toby, who do you say Jesus is? You could go to Matt. You could say, Matt, who, who do you say Jesus Diego, we just met this morning. We, we shook hands one time, but if I looked, I don't know your story, I don't know where you come from, but if I look at you and I say, who do you say Jesus is? We all have to answer that question. See, we can read over these scriptures and we can just say, you know what, I'll answer that on my own accord. I'll answer that on my own account. I'll answer that for myself. But when society stands in front of you, when culture stands in front of you, who do you say Jesus is? Do you stand on biblical truth or do you take a permanent marker and try to cross out what you don't like about the Bible? Because that's what, that's what Christians are doing. That's what Christ followers are doing. I'm going to mark out what I don't like, and I'm just going to subscribe to what I do like. And as long as I can subscribe to what I do like, then I'm going to feel comfortable and healthy. But I don't, I'm going to just gloss over the stuff that I don't like about the Bible. Proverbs chapter 18 tells us this. It tells us that, that there's power of life and death in the tongue. What you say matters, so who do you say Jesus is? What you declare matters. I told you that I don't like negative, definitive statements. I think it's one of the hardest things to get over in relationships. It's one of the hardest things to get over in marriages. And we've all been there. We, we've, all, we've all, husbands, wives don't do this at all. Husbands, we've all been dumb enough to say, well, you never do the dishes. Well, you, you never pick up after yourself. You, you always make us late. You're not supposed to be laughing at this. No, you can laugh. It's okay. But we have those negative definitive statements. And I'm, I'm willing to bet, I'm willing to bet that they aren't truly definitive. It's like I can't look at my wife and say, babe, I love you, but you can never figure out where to eat. That's not true. That is a definitive statement. I can say that. That's where you laugh, okay? That was a joke. You're supposed to laugh at that. But we have, we have these negative definitive statements statements that we make and, and those definitive statements probably aren't definitively true some of you are like elbowing your significant other You're like I told you we shouldn't be saying that but but the problem is you do it too let me step on your toes a little bit pick them up if you don't want me to step on your toes here's the problem we all do it 
The problem is we do it to ourselves. I'll never be like. I'll always be a failure. I'll always be my past. I can never do what they do. And we have these negative, definitive statements when it comes to ourselves. We have to stop that nonsense and start declaring Jesus. How, how did Peter respond? Who do you say that I am? Peter's response was this You are the Messiah. How, how do you respond in your own life? Who do you call Jesus? Make that your confession. If you allow the gates of hell to attack your identity and attack your confession, the next area that he attacks is by attacking your gifting. Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 says this, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus looks and he says, You are Peter. I told you that heaven and hell are, aren't playing nice together. They're at a constant war for your soul. And the enemy attacks your gifting when God calls to your gifting. I'm a firm believer that the devil is so scared that you might discover the fullness of your gifting that he'll keep attacking it over and over and over again. I mean, think about who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to Peter. It's the same joker that's going to deny him three times weeks to come. And Jesus looks at him and says, on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus is arrested. Peter's hiding in the crowd. And he denies Jesus three times. I'm going to use a little bit of creative liberty in this moment. But I bet, if it were me, I bet that Peter thought that he lost his gift. I bet that Peter thought that he lost his anointing. That Peter thought that he lost the call that God has on his life. We've been hammering Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. So Christ himself gave. Christ himself gave. Who gives you your gifts? Christ. Do you think, do you actually think that you're strong enough to take away what God is giving to you? Do you think that your sin is so great that God can't give you a gift? That you're so far removed that God can't reach you where you are? That you're so bad? I promise you there's worse people than you, all right? God can give you a gift regardless of what you experience. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, the teachers, to equip his people for works of service. Not for you to come into church and be comfortable on a Sunday morning, but for what? To equip his people for works of service. That means that we're called to get up, use our hands, use our feet, and serve. Not just serve in the local church, but serve in the local community. Where are you serving? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge and in the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We'll never obtain the fullness of Christ until we all start working in our unique gifts together. Sure, I might have a microphone on a Sunday morning, but there are kids that are being ministered to right now because people are serving in kids. There are individuals, there's women in the room who your life was impacted this past weekend because of people serving in the church to make the women's retreat happen. 
There are dads, there are husbands, there are spouses that are going to be impacted on our men's retreat that your families will never be the same again because someone decided to serve and to set up our men's retreat. Where are you serving? This isn't just for the pastors. This isn't just for the staff. This is for every single person who has a relationship with Jesus. Can I encourage someone today that just because you have failures, I don't, I don't care if your failures are in the past. I don't care if your failures are in the present. I don't care if you even have failures in the future. God has still called you and placed gifts inside of you. Stop thinking that you're so far removed. You're not that bad. You can't remove yourself away from God. Peter became one of the greatest Christ followers that the world had ever seen. But when did it happen? It happened after one of his greatest failures in life. It happened after he denied Jesus three times. What if, what if you step into a deeper, more meaningful relationship with Jesus, that you expand the kingdom of God even more after the biggest failures that you have in your life? If you allow the enemy to attack your identity, if you allow your, the enemy to a, attack your confession and attack your gifting, the last step that he will take is this. He'll try to keep you out of the church. He'll try to keep you out of the local church. Oh, you're good on your own. You can have community outside. You don't, you don't, need, you don't need the church on Sunday morning. You don't need to go. You don't, you don't have to go. What's, what's the big deal? Because Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus already declared it. He declared that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So why does he need us? Can I remind you that the promise of Jesus, that the gates of hell will not prevail, are directly connected to you being part of the local church? I told you. It's got to be deeply local so that it can be deeply global. How does the kingdom get built? It gets built through you. Ephesians chapter 4, we all have gifts that we're called to use for the kingdom of God. Has anyone, anyone ever read the screw tape letters? Screw tape letters, I, I love the screw tape letters. C.S. Lewis, masterful job. If you've never read that book, it's worth getting. Now here's the dynamics of the book. It's a little different, but the dynamics of the book is, is C.S. Lewis wrote it from a position of a demon. He, he wrote it from a position of, of the enemy. There's two characters in the book and it's screw tape and wormwood. Screw tape is the uncle. He's like, he's been a demon for a while. Wormwood is his understudy. Wormwood is his nephew. And the way that C.S. Lewis, by the way, C.S. Lewis loves Jesus, all right? Like he's not being weird. But, but the way that he writes, he writes it from the perspective of a demon. Hey, to get humanity to mess up, let's get them to do this and that. Let's get them to ignore their family. Let's get them to cheat on their taxes. Let's get and he just kind of goes through all these things. There's 31 letters that he writes. And, and I imagine, I imagine that the conversations around the gates of hell sound something like this. Sounds something like let's attack their identity. Let's get them to speak words of negativity and slander towards one another. Let's keep them arguing with one another. Let's keep them focusing on the political stance that they'll take. Let's keep them focusing on anything but what the Bible 
says, let's keep them from their gifting. Let's keep them from their church. But then I imagine that the conversations around the gate of heaven sound something like this. God looks at us and he says, you're my child. Your confession will align with my words. God says, I am building. The gates of hell, they're attacking and it hurts, but they won't prevail. The gates of hell are always going to attack us. Life's not going to be easy, but they won't prevail. All across this room, if I could ask you to stand, stand for just a second. Maybe, maybe you'll make that your declaration today. Maybe, maybe you'll realize for the first time in a long time that you truly are a son of God. Maybe you'll realize that you are a daughter of God, that he has called you to be heirs to the throne. See, some of you, some of you have been coming to church each and every week and you're acting just like Piper. You ran halfway up the hill. And then for some reason, you got to a point in your life where you said, I can't do this. You got to a point in your journey where you said, I can't do this. And you're running back down the hill. And you're running back down the hill as every Sunday morning, God, I just need you. God, I need you to show up. God, God said, I have shown up. I'm already here. You've got to keep running the fight. Or you've got to keep running the race. You've got to stay in the fight. Some of you need to tap yourself, yourself on the chest and say, I'm tough. Some of you need to realize that God is who he says he is. Hey, thanks for joining us today at Multiply Church. We can't wait to see you again next week, either in person or online, as we continue to love Jesus and change the world.